Jim? Oh, hey, Catherine. What do you want to talk about today? Well, I we've been talking about a lot of uh, kind of sad things. I've gotten a note from some listeners that it's been a depressing and sad podcast. It's a depressing and sad time. I know. I said, I can't control reality. And they said, why not? It would be nice. So maybe we could focus on like something that's actually like a, seems to be going as well as possible in terms of responding, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. I've been, yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of failure and we've been focusing on the failure, but I would love to know if there's like competence somewhere. Yeah. You know, there's a famous quote that goes around during tragedies um, by Fred Mr. Rogers, where he says, <laughs> you know, look for the helpers, look for the helpers. And the epidemiologist would say, look for the people who are f- flattening the curve effectively. Uh-huh. Well, I want I wanted to like to see who's doing that. You know, I mean, kind of the country that's getting the most props. Um, again, epidemiologic term is South <laughs> Korea, and uh, I don't know about within the U.S. Though, obviously, some places are doing better than others. So, who's doing well? I, so, I've heard a lot of good things about responses in, in California. It's been a while since I have been out there. You know, one time you and I went to Google. Years ago, yeah. And we saw Sergey Brin. Yeah, I remember that. I didn't know who he was, remember? Wait, really? Yes. I've forgotten this. We went to Google. We were looking at their life sciences lab. And then we were just sitting and talking with a couple of people. And then he came in and sat across from us. And he was like, I'm Sergey. It wasn't planned that he would be there. And, and I didn't know. And then later, you were like, he's like the guy. <laughs> he invented uh, Google. Because I've been, I'd been a Bing guy for so long. <laughs> no, uh, okay, so the point of the story is that you've been to San Francisco before. Yeah, the point of the story is you and I went to San Francisco. But anyway, California is a state of great resources and plenty and mm-hmm. should be relatively well equipped to handle situations on its own. It also has a huge public health department. So what you want to talk about today, is, it, is this episode a tale of two states? Is it? You tell me. It's certainly Dickensian in nature. And why don't we ask Russell? Tell everybody who Russell is. Russell Berman covers covers politics and policy for the Atlantic. Really smart reporter. Just a, you know, real by-the-book boot leather, the, the shoe leather. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes he wears boots. Sometimes he wears <laughs> shoes. He's always got a smart eye. He wrote a sort of... Uh, apparently somewhat controversial piece about how San Francisco is handling this. Okay, so we're calling Russell, who covers politics, who wears boots sometimes, and who's gonna tell us about how different states are handling this and how California's response has been very different and perhaps better than New York's? Yeah. Russell! Hello. Hi. How are you guys? Oh, we're good. How you been, Russell? Uh, we're 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 pretty good. Um, all things considered, I guess that's the addendum that, that you have to put in these things. But um, yeah, we got out this weekend a couple times. Um, you know, in an appropriate, responsible way. <laughs> what is it like to drive around the city right now? You know, it's it's funny because it should be easier, 
And it is, but it's also scarier because people are taking their cars out and like racing them. Did you hear about the cannonball run? No. What was that? No. Jim, did you hear about this? No. Uh, Last weekend, someone drove from New York City to San Francisco in 27 hours. Wow. What is that a record? I don't even. I don't know if it's a record, but I think I read that it was like an average of over 100 miles an hour. Wow. They just uh, like people are just using the empty highways to, you know, it's funny because driving. It occurred to me that this would be a great time to do all the construction projects that that people complain about. But uh, of course, that would require uh, a lot of uh, protective gear and and putting the lives more lives at at risk. So I don't know. Man. But you had a you, you painted a rosier picture, Russell, when you wrote about San Francisco's response. That was a little uplifting to see, like they're having a, a good flattening of the curve. Uh, that's right. And in fact, you know, the entire West Coast is doing better than the East Coast. Uh, and San Francisco and the Bay Area are doing better than within that than Los Angeles. So I wrote about London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco. She activated the city's emergency operations center in late January at a time when, you know, it was only a short while after public health officials in the United States even acknowledged that there was human to human transmission of the coronavirus. And then in late February, she became the first big city mayor to declare a state of emergency in San Francisco. And she did so before there was even a single confirmed case in her city. Um, And also the leaders in the surrounding Bay Area counties, in in many cases, they acted in unison to enact social distancing um, measures. On March 17th was when essentially their lockdowns went into effect. Uh, And that was when they only had a few dozen cases in San Francisco, whereas by comparison in New York at that time, they had hundreds and, and really quickly getting into the thousands And it was several days even after that, that Governor Cuomo and Mayor Bill de Blasio in New York acted. And so when you think about the the timeline, San Francisco and its surrounding counties acted on the calendar only a few days before they did in New York. But in respect of, uh, in regards to the- coronavirus time. Coronavirus time. On the coronavirus calendar. On the coronavirus scale, they acted much earlier. And so it seems like San Francisco is now reaping the benefits because, yes, it, it, you know, it has uh, several hundred, nearly a thousand cases. People have died, but at a much lower scale than not only New York, which, of course, has, has skyrocketed, unfor- uh, unfortunately, but in comparison to other cities of similar size like Detroit and Washington, D.C. and New Orleans, uh, San Francisco's situation seems to be pretty stable. One caveat to that uh, that I was asking about as I reported the story is that California has struggled much more than New York in testing. Right. So how much do we know that those numbers really are useful? Is it possible that they're just not testing as much so it doesn't seem like they have as many cases? Well, the first answer, as Jim well knows, is that they're not testing enough anywhere. There certainly are more cases in San Francisco than there are confirmed positive tests. But that is true everywhere. And, but I did, I talked to several epidemiologists for this story and I asked them that question and the evidence is in the hospitals, right? Their hospitals are not being overrun. As one epidemiologist told me for the story, deaths are hard to hide. 
there's about a two-week period where it can be unclear whether you have a lot of cases and you're just not detecting them. But then after a certain time frame, it, it becomes impossible. You would know because your morgues would be filling up. Right. Yeah. And it's also important to mention, of course, that San Francisco and, and Mayor Breed and her, Mary Ellen Carroll, who runs the city's Department of Emergency Management, were clear on this. They're not out of the woods. They don't want to relax. There is this fear everywhere, but it's especially there, that good news will beget bad news because people will say, OK, San Francisco is doing all right. We can cut corners. We don't need to be quite as fastidious about social distancing. And then you're going to be in trouble. Um, and even in San Francisco, there was, after I talked to Mayor Breed, uh, there was uh, a couple of days later, there was a, an outbreak at a homeless shelter, which is a big concern in San Francisco, which does have a, a very large homelessness uh, problem. Um, and 70 people in that one of the largest shelters there were infected. And so that's something that, you know, to watch. It's possible that San Francisco could have a, a worse situation, yet we'll have to just continue to monitor it. So it sounds like... You attribute most of this apparent success to shutting down early and social distancing early. That's what the the epidemiologists I I talked to uh, attributed it to. Now, there are potentially other factors, and and one of them was, was very interesting. So if you look at San Francisco, its proximity to Asia and China, um, the travel that goes between China in particular and San Francisco is much more significant. And so when the Trump administration did ban travel uh, or restrict travel, I guess there was not a total ban from China, you know, relatively early on, at least compared to when they restricted travel from Europe, that did help the West Coast, not only San Francisco, but the entire West Coast in terms of limiting, you know, what was coming in from Wuhan and China and other Asian countries. Whereas in New York, Uh, Obviously, people travel to New York from everywhere, including Asia and China, but there's a lot more travel directly from Europe. And they did not restrict travel from Europe uh, until the middle of March. And it's clear that it was uh, already well into New York, probably for a month or longer by then. So we're talking about New York and San Francisco. Why did you choose to focus on San Francisco? Like there's also Washington State. I understand Ohio did social distancing really early. Like, can you put this into context of like the rest of the country is San Francisco doing better than New York among places that are doing badly or like what's the national picture here? I know that everybody's responding very differently. Right. And, and, you know, I could have focused on, on other places, you know, out out West as well. So there's a lot of focus on the political leaders on the East coast, right? You have a, a ton of focus on Andrew Cuomo in New York, and he's been drawn a lot of praise for the way that he's, basically conducted the public messaging around social distancing and the crisis in New York and holding his daily press conferences. There's been more criticism of of Mayor de Blasio in New York. And it was sort of an effort to say, okay, let's look at the cities that are doing this well and spotlight a leader who is not getting the attention that the leaders in New York arguably are getting without maybe earning it as much because even though they're you know, Cuomo was doing a good job in front of the cameras. Uh, he didn't act early enough. Mayor de Blasio didn't act early enough. But it appears that, for example, London Breed in San Francisco did act, um, if not earlier, early enough, then at least early enough to to prevent a, a wholesale um, you know, outbreak on the scale of New York that would overwhelm their their health yeah. health system. I mean, Cuomo 
is interesting to me. I, I feel like it's fallen off a little bit, but for several weeks there were kind of these dueling press conferences, right? Trump was sort of meandery and like inflammatory and Cuomo had all these PowerPoints that people were kind of fawning over. He seemed super competent and on it from a at least performative standpoint and seemed to entertain the media quite a bit. So can you tell me what to make of Cuomo becoming sort of a Corona liberty? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you've nailed it, right? This is about uh, a, a big part of public leadership is the public part of it is is how uh, people, everybody is stuck inside. So everybody is watching TV. Everybody is scared and anxious. They have no other choice but to look to their leaders for crucial information, number one, and a sense of like, where are we and where are we going? And I think Cuomo has been successful in that he's met that need. I think he's clearly striking a balance where it doesn't seem overly rosy, but also saying, you know, we can do this, we will get through this. And people do want to see that. People do want to hear that from their leaders. People do not want to despair 24 hours a day. On on the one hand, it seems like public communication and the performance of competence is part of any leader's job. And to the extent that Quan was really good at that, that's really reassuring to people. But mm-hmm. it also seems like maybe there are a lot of leaders, maybe London Breed, as you're saying, but maybe also like Inslee in Washington or DeWine in um, Ohio, they're not putting on entertaining press conferences. And so I haven't heard anything about the great competence of their response. That is, it's a big part of it. And part of it is just sim- simply the, the media environment, right? The, if the cable, cable news is broadcasting Andrew Cuomo's press conferences and they're not broadcasting uh, Mike DeWine's in Ohio or London Breed in San Francisco or Jay Inslee in Washington State. And so these leaders are not getting uh, the attention that Governor Cuomo is. And that's that's uh, reflective of the fact that the national media is centered in New York and New York has always gotten a disproportionate you know, attention of, of the, the media nationally. Right. I guess what what is there to say, though, about like, what's the lesson of all of this? I think that the lesson is that you need is that we need to focus on and, and leaders need to do two things. They need to make the right decisions at the right time to the best that they can. And then they need to communicate those decisions and communicate about the situation uh, in a competent, easy, easily understood, accessible way. And I think the, the lesson here is that uh, Governor Cuomo certainly has gotten the second half of that right in this situation over the last month or so. Uh, but the question is, and I think will be potentially reassessed, is did he get the first part right? Did he make those correct decisions uh, at the right time? And I think part of the the story in comparison with people like Mayor Breed and Jay Inslee in Washington State and Governor Gavin, Gavin Newsom in California and others is that, you know, whether or not they've been communicating well, they made better decisions earlier and probably saved more lives than Andrew Cuomo in New York or Bill de Blasio in New York. What's the lesson for moving forward? Uh, The lesson for moving forward is to demand, right, is to focus on those decisions and less on the, whether it's, you know, you call it the entertainment or the public presentation of those decisions. I mean, everybody's going to learn a lot, obviously, from this unprecedented situation. And so decisions probably are going to be made better and earlier just because of that. 
but people are going to be able to, to look and anticipate and expect the leaders to take decisive action uh, earlier than they did this time. And as the question on everybody's mind is opening up society or, quote, returning to normal, which I dispute the premise, but I think mm-hmm. uh, people keep hearing statements from the president. And in fact, to just this afternoon, he tweeted, it was the media stirring up conflict, saying about it would be governors deciding to open states. But in fact, the president is going to make the call as to when to open up the government. But that's that's not right. Uh, in most ways, it's going to come down to state governors to open things back up just the way it came down to state governors to close things down. That's right. Although, of course, we've seen that, that Trump has a lot of influence with particularly Republican leaders oh, in this country. Right. And so to the extent that he uh, you know, wants to open up, then you can expect, you know, for example, Ron DeSantis, the Republican governor of Florida, or Brian Kemp, the Republican governor of Georgia, uh, where they've seen uh, significant outbreaks. It's entirely possible that they will pro- follow the president's lead in a way that Andrew Cuomo, for example, or Gavin Newsom uh, would not. So it is a concern. He, okay. can't just turn, he can't just turn the light switch back on. And remember, the federal government has not ordered anything. The shutdown, to the extent there is uh, nationwide, is actually just guidance from the CDC. It's, it's the governors and the mayors that are actually making orders. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you raise a critical point that we can learn from how we got into this, but we still can't learn how to get out of this because we've never gotten out of this before. And so the reopening part, if that's the getting out of this, is probably it seems going to be done in a fairly haphazard way that that is probably going to lead to more uh, you know outbreaks in certain areas now governor cuomo and the governors of, of connecticut new jersey and i think delaware and, and pennsylvania are uh it, it sounds like working together to try to develop a regional approach to at least try to have some coherence in the northeast region so that you don't have new york reopening or Connecticut reopening, but not New York, because there's so much travel commuting back and forth. Um, and we'll have to see, it, it seems like they're, you know, it's again, not going to be a light switch. It's going to be in stages. Um, and we'll have to see how that works out. Cuomo has been starting to talk about that a lot um, at his press briefings, trying to, you know, again, this is part of public communication to prepare the public to to get them to understand that when this happens, it's not going to be going back to normal. He said that very clearly. Um, but again, he, he only runs the state of New York and these governors only one, run uh, one region of the country. And the president uh, you know, clearly is, is communicating on a different wavelength. It seems like one of the lessons here, that, that at least that I'm taking away, is we've been really focused on the federal response. But you know, if the decision is ultimately in the hands of the... It's not that you know, Trump's sort of bully pulpit has no power. But if the decision is ultimately with state and local governments, then their their decisions are the ones that we should be scrutinizing. That's right. I think, yeah, I think that's, that's an important point, um, is that they are making sort of the, the decisions about when to open and when to close more so than the federal government is. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's, you, it, it's also an aspect of you can make the decision, but will people follow it, right? And so to the extent that uh, the president is undermining decisions about whether it's keeping the 
economies uh, closed down, right. um, keeping schools closed, et cetera, uh, then you may have people, whether it's leader, Republican leaders or just average citizens or businesses, right? I mean, if maybe you would see a situation where, well, the president says, I don't have to shut down, so I'm going to open up my business. You know, I don't know. It's, there are a whole lot of scenarios that you can envision if, for example, the president says from the White House, the nation should be open, and you have Andrew Cuomo saying, well, fine, but New York, which is such a huge mm-hmm. uh, uh, portion of the nation's economy, is still shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that going to work? So, you know, it's, we're in, uh, it's a cliche, but, you know, we're in ch- uncharted territory, and we just don't know what that's going to look like. Right. Um, thank you for speaking with us, Russell. This is extremely clarifying, as always. Thank you. I mean, it's good to chat. I miss our chat. I know. I know. Hey, Russell, if you, uh, if you want to go on a longer drive, I hear you can make it to California in 27 hours. Oh, my gosh. Don't do it, man. <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how long this goes. It might, it might be appealing some August. No. Yeah, yeah. I've heard they're, <laughs> they have quite competent leadership out there. Indeed. Um, thanks, Russell. Well, thanks, guys, for having me. It was, uh, it was a pleasure. Stay well, guys, and, and let's do this again. All okay, right. you too. Thanks. Jim, do you think I'm competent? Competent? You're very good at asking questions. You do think I'm competent? Oh, yeah, yeah. Extremely competent. <laughs> let's do the credits. And also, I just want to seed this. Sometime this week, we're going to do something really fun. Good. Someone made a remix of, of our episode from Saturday. Yeah, which was amazing. Yeah, so that was kind you. of fun, right? It's mm-hmm. on SoundCloud. Yeah, send us your remixes to socialdistanceattheatlantic.com. Only cool ones. This show was produced today by Kevin Townsend with help from Anna Waters and Jacqueline Landry. I think that's, uh, that's all I got today. I need to okay. get back to it. All right, uh, talk to you tomorrow. Okay, later. Okay, bye. <laughs>